Revelation chapter 10. As we journey through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, Wednesday night, still in the book of James. After we finish the book of James, we're starting in Psalm, the book of Psalms. Today, Revelation 10, kind of a short chapter. Let's dive into it. And I saw still another mighty angel coming down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was on his head. His face was like the sun, and his feet like the pillars of fire. And he had a little book, and he opened it in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. And he cried with a loud voice, as when a lion roars. And when he cried out, seven thunders utter their voices. Now when the seven thunders utter their voices, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, seal up the things which the seven thunders uttered and do not write them. And then the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised up his hand towards heaven. And he swore by him who lives forever and ever who created heaven and the things that are in it, the earth that the things that are in it, and the sea and all that is in it, that there should be no longer a delay. But in the days of the sounding of the seven angels, when he was about to sound, the mystery of God should be completed or finished, as he declared it to his servants and the prophets. And then the voice of which I heard from heaven spoke to me again, saying, Go take the little book which is opened into the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the earth. So I went to the angel and I said to him, Give me the little book. And he said to me, Take it and eat it, and it will make your stomach bitter, but it will be sweet as honey in your mouth. And so I took the little book out of the angel's hand and I ate it. And it was sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach became bitter. So he said unto me, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. Let's pray. Lord, thank you again for this beautiful day to be gathered together, Lord, as your bride, as your body, to be witnesses for you to those Lord, all around us, family and friends, strangers on the beach today, we thank you for those serving in children's ministry. Lord, we do thank you that this message goes over the internet. We thank you for those, Lord, serving, those faithful, Lord, to be up early at the beach holding our spot. And so, Lord, for your hand upon us, upon our, our heart and our mind to give us wisdom to understand what you would say to the church today. For we love you and we declare that you are holy and you are worthy of all of our praise. In Jesus' name, amen. How did we get here? Well, if we go back into chapter 9, we saw that that was really started to get some horrific things happening on planet Earth. Two waves of demonic activity came on. Uh, A quarter of the world uh, had been, the population had been killed completely wiped out, and we left off at verse 20, and I want to pick that thought up as we run into chapter 10. It says, For the rest of mankind 
who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hand, that they should not worship demons and idols of gold and silver and brass, stone and wood, which can neither see nor walk. Note with me. And they did not repent of their murders or their drug use or of their sexual immorality or their thefts. And how astonishing it it is because in this chapter, chapter 10, we're going to see we're at the end of that first period of time. The three and a half year period is coming to an end. There's a pause again. But before that, God has allowed the nations to roar, to rage, war and pestilence, right? The first four writers of the apocalypse, great uh, just upheaval on planet earth, things that people have never seen before, literally scared the daylights out of them, scared the hell out of them, right? So that they would accept Christ. You know, I don't like that. People use curse words all the time, and I, I have to do this balancing act, and I use, you know, the proper scare them out of, and it sounds like I'm cussing. So you in San Francisco, knock it off. <laughs> They are listening to us on KDIA there in San Francisco. That's wonderful to be on that station there and to proclaim the name of Jesus in such a dark area. Continue to pray for where this message goes each week. But God is doing a work, and yet you would think, okay, uh, mankind has seen all of this. They've seen such supernatural things. Of course they're going to bow to the king, right? But that's not what this says. It says that the, uh, they did not repent of the works of their hand. And again, Jesus said, because men love darkness rather than light. And they would rather have control over their life and of their sin. Why, do, why does not everybody come to Christ today? I mean, would we not agree we live in America? Anybody? I think this is still America. And that the gospel is is pretty uh, available in our in our current world and in our current cu- country. I mean, you'd be hard-pressed to find somebody who really hasn't heard about Jesus or the Bible. And yet, because they've heard about that, they know it, and yet they, they still reject it. Well, if it's easy to reject it now, what is it going to look like when it comes and all this stuff is starting to be poured upon this world? Well, then we dive into chapter 10, and again, this is another pause because we won't get to the seventh trumpet until we get to chapter 11, verse 15, because next week we're going to see the two witnesses, God's witnesses there proclaiming his word uh, to the world there in Jerusalem. But there's again another pause here, but another great declaration by God, and something amazing happens here. It's like God is about to pour his complete wrath over the next three and a half years, and then he just pulls back for a moment again. Okay, I'm giving man the opportunity. And again, what I find fascinating is through the book of Revelation is that God doesn't have to pull back, but he does. God doesn't have to relent, but he does because he loves mankind so much that he sent his only begotten son. Not only that is that he is sending his wrath to this Christ-rejecting world, and every time he pulls back, he pulls back. He gives people the opportunity 
to come to a saving knowledge of Christ. Listen, I, I think it's, it, it's, it's amazing who walks through our door on a Sunday morning. I mean, can you imagine coming to church? You're like, hey, we're going to check out this church. Woo, Calvary Chapel, we see their signs on the electric, you know, electronic billboards. Yeah. And then they walk in and then they hear a message like this or last week where a quarter of the population is destroyed. And they think, ooh, we shouldn't have picked that church. <laughs> Let's just wait till he's done. But aren't you glad? It, it, I am so thankful for whoever walks through our door on a Sunday or a Wednesday. I'm just thankful that they get to hear that, that they hear the gospel, that they know that God is love, but he also is a God of judgment and justice. No good judge is a good judge unless he has both, compassion and judgment and justice. That is the God we serve. And just for a moment again, he pulls back and he, uh, well, let's read it. Verse 1. And I saw still another angel come down from heaven, clothed with a cloud and a rainbow on his head. And his face was like the sun and his feet like a pillar of fire. Now, this is another declaration. We've seen many angels. We will continue to see many angels come and go through the book of Revelation. Does everybody see this angel coming down? Wouldn't that be a hoot? I mean, he lands there in L.A. Because it's the beach. It's not Myrtle Beach. But he just, wherever it is, he lands, he comes straight down. Can you imagine the reporters filming this and what this looks like? Well, Bob, we're standing at the beach once again, and this angel is, listen, he's got a rainbow on his head, and his face is like the sun, and his feet like pillars of fire. If that doesn't get people's attention, if the meteor's coming in, if the demon locust, right, those weirdo drone things last week, and the torment of people. What is going to get man's attention? What is going to get man's attention today before he returns? And so we see this mighty angel coming down. Again, this interlude, this pause, is for a purpose. Again, it's to show the mercy of God. He is giving everybody the opportunity to repent Nobody who, are, who is going through the seven-year period of time will be able to stand before God and say, God, you're not just. He's like, roll tape. Let me show you every time I paused and pulled back on my wrath so you would have an opportunity. Show the angel. Show the declarations next week. Show the two witnesses that I have that will be on CNN, Right? They're going to film them. They're going to put one of them. You ever see that camera that's on the west wall? You can go online and you can see that. It's pretty cool, right? Can you imagine that? This camera on the two witnesses 24-7. God says, I gave you the opportunity. God brings mankind back from the brink again, pulls back so that man sees the mercy of God. And it says, verse 2, that he had a little book and he opened it in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. And he cried out with a loud voice as when a lion roar, roars, and he cried out seven thunders uttering their voices. So this leads me to believe that people will be able to hear this. Now, will they hear this locally? 
or will they hear this globally? Probably globally, because everything that we've seen through the book of Revelation is a global event, right? It's not isolated in one area. It's a global event. So can you imagine you're going about your daily business there, and all of a sudden you hear this this huge roar, and then these seven thunders of voices. It says in verse 4, Now when the seven thunders uttered their voices... I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying, Seal up the things which the seven thunders uttered, and do not write them. So here Johnny is doing what he was supposed to do in the beginning. God said, write all things. So he's getting ready to write down what these seven utterances are, but he is told to shut them up. Walvern in his commentary says, this illustrates the principle that while God has revealed much, there are secrets which God is not seen fit to reveal to us at this time. Again, this book is written to the believers, to the church, and yet for whatever reason, God says, I'm going to keep that until that time. This is a greater principle that I think that we need to understand because there are those inside of the church that think, I got to understand everything. I got to figure every little thing out in the Bible to understand who this God is. And if you could do that, he wouldn't be God. And we, man has this arrogance and the Greek thinking way, that's how we have been trained in the Western world. We have this arrogance that we can figure it all out. There are a lot of things we just cannot know. In fact, it's going to be called a mystery, and we'll look at some of these that, we, uh, that are revealed. But we, you have to be okay with verse 4 not knowing. <laughs> now, w- what's funny about this, and this is just me, and maybe it's you in a minute, but this is me. This is funny that, you know, John writes this. He's on the Isle of Patmos. He, he, he's banished there, but he gets released, and eventually he goes back to Ephesus, and that's where he spends the rest of his days there in Ephesus. Can you imagine? And, it, and by the time he writes First uh, John and John, he's well into his 90s. And you know what the question was every time he spoke. John, what was the seven utterances? Did you not read what I wrote? You can't know. Come on, tell me. No. Think about that. John heard it all. Is this not amazing? One guy heard it. And he still lived with that knowledge for years. He was obedient to do exactly. Listen, when you go through the book of Revelation and you see everything that you see, it's pretty easy to keep it quiet. Why? Because you saw what God can do, right? And John, through his life, poor John, he's like, Lord, when are you going to tell them? Because even right now, everybody's bugging me in heaven. What did you hear, John? What did you hear? But it's not for us. It's for the earth dwellers. And whatever it is, I'm not sure they want to hear it, but they will hear it. They need to hear it. And it is the declaration of God to them. Verse 5 says, The angel whom I saw standing in the sea and on the land raised up his hand towards heaven, and he swore by him who lives forever and ever, Notice who created the heavens and all that is in them, the earth that is 
and all that is in it, and the sea and all that is in it, that there should no longer be a delay. I want you to underline that phrase, no longer a delay. Because this marks, well, really next week when we get into it, chapter 11 and the seventh trumpet marks the official uh, three and a half year period, but this really does as well. This is okay Um, this is marking the time when no longer will I hold back any wrath. And so God is pouring that now upon the world, rightfully so, for the rejection of Jesus. He says in verse 7, But in the days of the sounding of the seven angel, when he was about to sound, the mystery of God would be finished as he declared to his servants the prophets. So, in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, that's going to be next week, he's going to sound that off. Just before then, it says, when he is about to sound the mystery of God, uh, that would be finished. Now, if you've been at Calvary, you know this. If you haven't, it's all right. In biblical vocabulary, a mystery isn't something no one knows. A mystery is something no one could know unless it was revealed to him. So we're going to look at a few verses that speak of the mystery of God. This is something that is declared to a group of people so that they would know. And by the way, this isn't, as we see, this isn't something like the 144,000 or Mormonism or JWs or this secret mystery hidden thing to just a... It's open to everybody who is a believer in Christ. That is important. If you follow Christ, you're going to see the revelation and the mystery revealed unto us. If you could know, uh, again, everything about God, then he would not be God. Sometimes God holds things back uh, uh, so that his children, his church, would have a knowledge of that. Something that can be known, can still be a mystery in the Bible sense, but it would never have been known if it had not been revealed. And so God uses this phrase, the mystery of God, in several places. I want you to see a couple of them. Romans chapter 11, don't turn there, I'll turn to it. Romans chapter 11, verse 25, I'll read it to you. For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery lest you should be wise in your own opinion that the blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentile comes in. Now, I I could just preach on this today. Israel is God's chosen people. They are to be... uh, They are to be supported by the church. I was trying to find the right word there, but not... A rejection of Israel. All right, I'm, I'm going to go down that path. <laughs> it's just where we are today. I am grieved by the church in this way, that the church doesn't know its Bible. Now, that's, no, that's a no-brainer. We talk about that all the time, that the church is biblically illiterate. But about this topic, Israel, the church has been biblically illiterate since about 400 A.D. 
And if you know your church history, you would know that the church has been very anti-Semitic, very against the Jewish people, the Inquisitions, the way that the Roman Catholic Church participated with the, with the Third Reich. I mean, that's a topic in and of itself. Do you know that the Roman Catholic Church helped get uh, Nazi head officials out of Germany and stowed them away in different countries? I just learned that, that we always thought that most of them went to Argentina, which they did. Do you know that I just learned recently that a, major, uh, a lot of those, not a majority, a lot of Nazis went to the Middle East? And what, I, what was interesting about that was that during that time where these Nazi officials uh, started to live in the Middle East, they changed their names, obviously, to Middle Eastern names, but they started to infiltrate the governments of those Middle Eastern countries to which those Middle Eastern countries started to be anti, guess it, Israel Jew. Now, there was always been a hatred of Islam and Judaism, right? Arab and Jew, that fight's old. But if you look at the chronology and the timeline of that, it's funny, you've got this Third Reich issue, that goes away, and then all of a sudden this rise of anti-Semitism inside of the the Islamic world. Uh, Maybe you don't know this. Do you know how many Jews used to live in Persia, Iran? A lot. And had no problems till when? Those guys started showing up. Listen, the church has had their problems on this topic. And yet, if they would just read Romans 11, God is not done with Israel. The whole book of Revelation is about God redealing with Israel, taking his bride out so he can deal with Israel and the Gentile nations. And we need to remember that this is happening to Israel. Notice that the blindness is in part has happened to Israel until, listen, let me paraphrase, until the church is gone. And when the church is gone, God will redeal with Israel. So there is this mystery about it. We, we, we just let God deal with the idea that uh, God is dealing with uh, the Israelis, the Jews. Then he stopped after they rejected Jesus, dealing with the church. And then when the church is gone, he redeals with Israel. The other mystery there is God's purpose for the church in Ephesians. And it says, well, let me just read this section. Know that by revelation, Ephesians 3, he made known to me the mystery as I have briefly already written to you, by which when you read it, you may understand the knowledge in the mystery of Christ in which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it was revealed by the Holy Spirit to his holy prophets and apostles, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gifts of grace of God, which was given to me by the effective working of his power. To me, whom I'm the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all see which is the fellowship of the mystery, 
which from the beginning of the ages have been hidden in God, who created all things through Christ, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and the powers in the heavenly places according to the eternal purpose which he has accomplished in Christ. And so when, when Paul is speaking about the mystery of the church, he is speaking of us Gentiles being grafted in to the Jewish nation. Remember, we call ourselves Judeo-Christians. We come from a Jewish background that once Christ has fulfilled that upon the cross, there is now no more nor Jew nor Gentile, free or slave, man or woman, all are one in Christ. And that's why critical race theory has no place in the church. No place. Because the church does not divide in that way once you walk through the door. Once you say yes to Jesus, you become a Christian. That's it. You don't become a black Christian. You don't become a white Christian. You don't become an Irish Christian. Oh, maybe. (laughs) A southern Christian, a northern... You are a Christian. And everybody who walks in the door is one on that level. Therefore, we shouldn't be going down the path of that worldly... I'll leave it there. The next is Romans 11, verse 25, the bringing of the fullness of the Gentiles. Again, the, this mystery of God that he reveals that the, the church comes in. Next one, he says, the living presence of Jesus in the believer that is called the mystery of God. Colossians 1:27 says, to them, God willed to make known what are the riches of his glory of this mystery among the Gentiles which Christ in you, the hope of glory. And then he says, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And so as a believer, we get to receive that which was hidden before and still is hidden to the Jewish nation. Remember, blindness in part. And lastly, the gospel itself is called the mystery of Christ from Colossians 4.3. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, which I am also in change. So this message that goes forth, remember, it must be received by faith that God gives us the ability to even accept this. He gives us his grace and his mercy, the grace that you deserve hell. I deserve hell. Everybody, in uh, there should be like Revelation 1 and then God blew it all up. Revelation 1, 2, start it over. Right? And, and it would be totally justified. And yet the grace of God through that entire section. Again, in this context, the mystery of God probably or more likely refers to the unfolding of his resolution of all things, the finishing of his plan of the ages. It is interesting to me that we are roughly going into the 7,000th year of mankind. Why is that important? Well, because God created the earth in six literal days and that he rested on the seventh. And if God stays true to his timeline, 
then as he is wrapping up the 6,000th year of mankind, then mankind will go through this event and there will be a thousand year reign of Christ where there is rest in him. And so this mystery of God is the unveiling finally of the totality of everything. I mean, really the book of Revelation is the finality of what we know on planet earth. At the end of it, it says that he creates all things new. That's a new chapter in uh, what we will experience. Again, the mystery of God, which is declared as a subject to the fulfillment of the unfolding of not only Old Testament, but the New Testament of all of what was said by the prophets and prophecy. Remember Jesus said, I came to fulfill all the law and the prophets. Yes, but it's not all fulfilled yet. Because there are verses in Zechariah, right? And Isaiah. These verses haven't been fulfilled yet. Daniel 9 is not fulfilled yet. So this is the culmination of of all of that. One writer also said it this way. He says, possibly the mystery also regarding the great question of why does God allow Satan and man to rebel and go, go their own way? You ever had that conversation with somebody? Well, if God knows all things, don't you hate that, the tone in their voice? Well, then why did he create the devil if he knew he was going to sin? Why did he create man knowing that he created the devil, that the devil would go to Eve? And you, you hear that logic, right? It's like, boom, boom. And you're like, no, no, no. You missed the whole purpose of God's creation. And it is simply free will. It is a choice. Not to get onto the geopolitical uh, topic, but uh, I won't. But why is our nation so important to the world? Because no other nation on planet Earth has declared freedom like we have. No, no one, no other nation has declared what we have declared. No other nation has what we have. You can go to England but they can pull your First Amendment, what we would say, rights like that. They can shut you down. In the Philippines right now, I just heard their mandatory um, vaccinating everybody on the island. Mandatory. You don't get a choice. Now, wherever you fall on that topic, is that your choice, right? Don't you love how uh, people love to say, my body, my choice? Uh, Only when it suits them. But again, we live on an, uh, I was going to say an island. (laughs) I was just thinking that for a minute. I mean, we live where we have freedom. And God has, has allowed the United States to declare that freedom. And so, when people have this idea or these questions, why did God allow Satan and man? Because God gives man the free will the free choice to accept them or not during this tribulation isn't it amazing people have the free choice i can say to myself i don't really see an angel flying around i don't really see a meteor falling from earth and destroying half of the 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 vegetation they can still be that deceived or they can say and fall on their uh, their knees and their face before god god I have rejected you. I am a sinner. 
Thank you for giving me the opportunity to accept you during this most hellish time on planet Earth. And now I lay down my life for you that I could not do before, but I do it now. God freely acknowledges that life today is full of mysteries. But it will not always be so. And it will soon be fully revealed. And all of the answers to all of the questions throughout all of the ages will be complete and it will be done. He says, but in the days, verse 7, of the sounding of the seventh angel, when he was about to sound, the mystery of God would be finished. And he declared this to his servant, the prophets. Now, that could mean the declaration of the two witnesses that will come in the next chapter. So we'll get to that later. And then the voice which I heard from heaven spoke to me again, saying, Go take the little book which was open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the earth. And so I went to the angel and I said to him, Give me the little book. And he said to me, take and eat of it, and it will make your stomach bitter, but it will be as sweet as honey in your mouth. And so verse 10, I took the little book out of the angel's hand, and I ate it, and it was sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach became bitter. Jeremiah was told this, and Ezekiel was told this as well. And there's imagery in the Old Testament about this. But as predicted, John took, notice how over and over through the book of Revelation, John is obedient. It's like he just does it immediately. He does it, he goes to it. And he he knows exactly that this scroll is sweet as honey in his mouth, but then it produces a bitterness in his stomach. For the believer, it is sweet to read of God's plan to glorify His Son who was crucified and rose again. But there is a bitterness to it as you read the account of the cross. You read the account of the last week of Jesus. It's bitter. It's disturbing that His own brethren, the Jews, rejected Him. That the religious leaders bent on power and money alone crucified Jesus. Now, we know that was God's plan, but that's bittersweet, isn't it? Sweet that he came out of the tomb. Bitter that they tried to pay off some of the guards to say that the disciples had stolen away the body. It is sweet to read of the time when the earth will, and all of the wrongs of the earth will be made right. I know it's hard sometimes to live in a world right now. Again, this isn't even three years ago, five years ago, but right now where you see insanity. You see the inmates are running the asylum. I'm thankful for parents who are standing up in school board meetings all across this land and fighting back at the lunacy, but it shows how easy lunatics can get into a place of power. I mean, there's like 400 of something in D.C. They're not all lunatics. There's three, okay. But you read that and you're like, man, but why did it take this long? Why did it take that long for people to go, we've had enough? 
Why did that not happen five years ago? That all was, don't think that this is some new thing. It's been creeping in, creeping in since the 1960s. This is a communistic plan to take over the United States. It was declared by, you know the thing about your enemy is, your enemy always declares what he's doing. And you go, no, he's not going to do that. What, the Russians said, we will not destroy the United States from without. We will destroy it from within. And we go, that's not going to happen. Since the 1960s, communists in, infiltrated the school system, the seminaries. Why are the churches the way they are? They've been infiltrated. And so it's bittersweet to know the things of God, and that all of the wrongs of this earth will be made right. It, we read Revelation, we're like, right on. And then you read about the billions of people who die. I can't remember the exact phrase, but let me try to butcher it anyway. As a believer, if we don't, and I forget the actual preacher, if it was D.L. Moody or one of these old, old dead guys. But he says, as you're proclaiming the message of the cross and the joy in that, if you don't have a sorrow for those who will burn in hell, then you should not proclaim that message. Which means you should have both messages at the same time. You have a heart of God, but you also have the heart of justice and judgment. You proclaim both of them, but it's bittersweet. There is a bitter sweetness again about this entire book of Revelation. To read the church history and the failures, but then to read of the church of Philadelphia who has just a little strength and that God has opened up a door, an amazing opportunity. Guys, just think about the modern day church and the opportunities of Christian radio. Just that alone. I am so thankful that we're part of Calvary Chapel and Pastor Chuck had a vision for radio way back in the 60s. He bought a little station called K-Wave. And right now it's one of the biggest stations in the L.A. Basin, reaching multiple millions of people for the gospel. How many people has that message gone over? When Billy Graham figured out TV, he figured out, hey, we could broadcast this on TV because... The TV stations at the time, they had lulls, right? On Saturdays and Sundays, no one really watched it. So it was really cheap. And so they put on the, de the decision hour, right? The, and this, the, the crusades were online. How powerful is that? It's bittersweet. But then you know people watch it and go, uh, Billy. There is a bittersweetness of self-judgment as well in the prophetic scriptures. We hear it, and then there's a bitterness to it. What is God doing in your own heart and your own life? It's sweet to hear because the word of God is amazing. It's alive. It's, a, it's powerful. It's able to cut between the marrow and the sinew. The scalpel is used by the master. But you know what happens after surgery? <laughs> Pain! My son had an appendectomy, right? He had shoulder issue. The doctor never says, has, have you ever heard a doctor say, listen, this, this surgery is going to be a dream. You're going to feel no pain at all. No, never. You wake up, that, that 
pain blockers gone, right? You feel the, the intense pain because severe work has been done there or there or wherever the work has been done. There's always pain to it, but it needed to be done. There is a bitterness in viewing the judgments which must soon fall on the apostate Judaism and Christendom. There's a bitterness of contemplating the eternal doom of all who reject Jesus. I mean, that's bitter. But listen, today we rejoice in the finished work of Jesus uh, Jesus Christ upon the cross, his exit from the tomb, and his soon completion of all things on planet Earth. That's what we rejoice in. And let me just help you, because when you're in heaven, you won't remember the things of planet Earth. And I mean by the things that will bring a tear to your eye. Lastly, he says, and say to me, you must prophesy again about many people, nations, and tongues, and kings. John, just because the message is hard to hear, you need to continue to proclaim it. I mean, think about John seeing all of this, knowing all of this, knowing how many people are dying. He is, the, he is a follower of Christ. He has the love of Christ inside of him. And it's like God says, all right, John, look, you wrote a ton of stuff for three and a half years about this time. I need you to continue to write because it's about to get worse. Just because the message is hard to hear, we must continue to proclaim what God is doing and what he is about to do. As a believer, it's bittersweet, yes? But we need to take the words of God to John to heart. You must prophesy. By the way, Uh, Let me end this. Prophecy, we always think, is something future and everything, and that's true. But the actual word prophecy just means to declare the truth of God. So this is what he says. You must declare the truth of God to many people, nations, tongues, and kings. As bad as the situation is, John, you must continue. Ah, Listen, church. As bad as the situation is on planet Earth at this time where we live, we must continue to declare Jesus Christ. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When you go into that water today, be bold in your faith. Don't worry about the weirdos on the beach. Pray for the weirdos. Because you too were one. Jesus declares over and over. Those who are ashamed of me, I will be ashamed before my father. Go in there and, yeah. I mean, don't be weird. (laughs) Be like, I'm not baptizing you. Pat, take care of that one. (laughs) This is what I ask for, that you just pray that we are a, a good example to those on the beach and that those who are on the beach today here in Myrtle Beach, they have no idea what they're about to see. They're about to see those who love each other and who love the world and whose heart is broken over sin and the destruction there it brings. And we pray that people would just 
walk out into the water and want to be baptized. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for chapter 10, for the pause again to see your mercy. We thank you, Lord, for your hand upon us that we would, Lord, be wonderful examples out on the beach today. They will know that we are Christians by our love. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness and how you are a great, great father. And Lord, we do this baptism, putting the old man, the old woman into the water and coming up new, having an outward showing of an inward change of heart. And so, Lord, thank you that we can do this, that we can be obedient, and that we would be a witness for Jesus Christ, our Lord, who is coming soon, and he will reckon everything done, finished. Lord, thank you again for those serving around our building. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.